Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. It's great to be back here with you once again. My name is Clay Wright, and I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be hosting for you guys today. And I'm blessed once again to have this conversation with Pastor Jim Minling. Hey, glad to be here. <laughs> um, I'm excited for this conversation, uh, and I was also interested to hear the exciting news that you shared on Sunday, which of course is <laughs> the... <laughs> some, people, some people were like, that's not exciting. Yeah. I, I think there's more stuff for us to learn from Luke 4. I, I know. Others were cheering. I, yes, there was, there was some applause uh, for sure. But I, there, I was, there was some, there was, uh, I met someone new who was there for the first time and I was thinking about them during that comment. I was like, oh man, this is so funny. They're getting just caught right up into the Honestly, though, I, I think um, I would rather spend lots of time in the Word than than rush past it. You know, I, we we joke sometimes. We spend a, an hour, you know, a long time in a sermon, and then an, sometimes an hour, over an hour in a podcast. Yeah, but there's just so much to see. I, I'm just looking in my computer here. How many times have we preached from Luke four? Let me just try to find a yeah. While you keep talking, let me sure. Yeah. So obviously, we're in Luke chapter four in this podcast, if, if we have any new listeners, which by the way, we do love our listeners. We've been hearing some, um, some positive feedback from you guys. So we're, we're really glad that this is serving you. And, and just honestly, we're excited to invite you deeper into our conversations about the scriptures. Mm-hmm. This is about the scriptures and, and the beauty that they have. And so each week we're studying and we're um, discerning and we're listening to the spirit to write sermons, but there's so much that's true and that's good. And that's helpful that we can't say on a Sunday morning because it doesn't fit or it's just, you know, a, a tertiary point. And so well, you just plain run out of time. Yeah. You, know, you just run out of time, which, you know, I guess we could keep going, but you know, then, then uh, you know, we might, we might get other feedback. So we're 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 happy to be able to invite you into this conversation where we where we pick up some of those pieces and like the the um tagline for the podcast goes we continue that conversation because it's really difficult to have back and forth conversation on a sunday morning in a group of <laughs> you know even <laughs> even 50 people it's just hard yeah. um but we recognize the value in conversation about the scriptures and so yeah. uh we we invite you into this conversation, but did, did you find how many times? Fourteen sermons. Fourteen sermons in Luke chapter four. That's fourteen sermons in forty four verses. So how many? So is that like a two? And a, I'm not a math major. Neither. Two and a, three. Yeah. Two point seven verses per. Fourteen times two would be twenty eight. Yeah. So well, maybe I, around three something. And I had ten verses uh, for one of the sermons. Mm-hmm. So it's. <laughs> That's a yeah. Well, it, but but again, you know, Luke is packed, and we're getting into the beginning so of Jesus's ministry. Yeah. <laughs> so there's huh. so much for us to learn from his example, um, and I loved how you continue to bring that out, and this in this beautiful concept of rhythms. Yeah. And so yeah, that was. Let me, yeah. sh- let me share something about. Um, yeah, please do. Um, I told the pastors uh, class earlier today um, that as I'm studying this passage this past couple weeks. Uh, and I'm I'm seeing all kinds of different things, and you know, I'm, it's it's cool. But when I began to see the rhythm between mm-hmm. Jesus being alone 
and being and doing out and serving people that that just that word rhythm just struck me and it felt like once the holy spirit showed me that i just all these other rhythms just started unfolding and that's when i really got excited about the text yeah because i was like man there's something here that is i've that you know i've not seen in this passage before and you know you can see these kinds of rhythms in the life of jesus and other texts but um you know, there's just that aha moment that, that I just, I just love. And I know you know what it feels like when mm-hmm. you're, you're studying and you're working and you're studying, you're working, you're praying. It's like, okay, I, I, I have good content, but you know, there's just, I haven't had that aha moment yet. Right. And when that happens, it's like, yes, you know, fireworks, <laughs> lights go off, you know, you know, you're just like, and that's the, from, from that point until Sunday is when I'm chomping at the bit because I'm like, I can't wait to share this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, that was a cool moment. And also, I find because you know, there are some aha moments when it's it's just a beauty thing. It's just wow, this is so yeah. this is impacting me. Yeah. You know, this is drawing my heart to to God, and that's how can be helpful for people. But an aha moment that has to to coin a, you know to steal a phrase from our good friend Charlie, Pastor Charlie, that's handles for people to grab onto mm-hmm. like rhythms. Mm-hmm. I mean that's. That communicates so well in a culture that's hungry for health, that's hungry for sustainability, that's hungry for self-care. Mm-hmm. And of course, we want to maybe nuance and distinguish the rhythms that we're talking about from some of the kind of um, rhythms that culture is holding up for folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but there's a hunger, honestly, for healthy living. Yeah, and yeah, definitely. And and this this brings us into the humanity of Jesus, doesn't it? Oh you yeah, know, you know that that he needed rhythms. Um, you know, I, I we may have talked about this before, but I love that scene in the Chosen mm-hmm. where it captures <laughs> Jesus exhausted right. at the end of a day of ministry. It's just a small thing, and yet it's significant. Jesus was fully human, right? And so he didn't have a switch that he could just flip on. You know, he needed to learn how to live in the rhythms. Um, uh, and, and, and practice that as in order to be sustainable. Yeah. So, yeah. Once again, there's, you know, there's Jesus is our savior. He's our Lord, but he's also our model and our example. We, we want to follow him to learn from him mm-hmm. and become more like him, even in these things that some people might find mundane, but that are actually very significant learning rhythm in life. Right. And it, this is a part of the way we read scripture as disciples of Jesus, Indeed. right? We're not, we're not just reading it because it's interesting or factual. We're reading it because we're curious that Jesus lived in ways uh, that he wanted us to replicate. Well, and that's, you know, Dallas Willard loved to talk about following Jesus as, you know, discipleship looks like, you know, what would it look like if Jesus was living in my body? Mm-hmm. You know, so when I go to my job, um, at the post office or at, you know, uh, an accountant firm or as a plumber. When I go as a, as a follower of Jesus to my job, what would it look like for Jesus to do that job? And, and that's, that's, that's what we mean by becoming like Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to grow a beard and walk around in sandals and a bathrobe, you know. And I'm also not going to say I'm going to walk around Israel and, and, and tell stories and, and touch people to heal them. I have to live my life, and, yeah. and God wants me. This is this is a sacred moment. God wants me to. My life is full of sacred moments. He wants me to live my life the way Jesus would. That's Christ likeness, 
um, in, if he were working at Ford or working at a sales job or something. Yeah. And, uh, and that takes discipleship and following Jesus out of this ethereal, abstract, you know, really so unpractical um, world into what is actually the world of the Bible, which is highly practical, mm-hmm. highly relevant. And, um, and, of course, that's our job as teachers and preachers because, you know, it's, it's, the Bible is wonderful, it's sacred, it's lofty, but if we only think of it as lofty literature and we don't realize that it's meant to be extraordinarily practical, then we're misreading the Bible mm. and, we're, and we're not really following Jesus. Yeah, um, yeah. We're not just following him as a divine creature to save us. Jesus said, follow me as a disciple. And we know what that word disciple means. It means to follow, to learn, to become. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm hoping um, maybe this language of rhythms will help that click for people mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. also really Hopefully. easy and, and very typical to go through these really destructive cycles as believers where we're on fire mm-hmm. and then burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's easy to happen for anybody who just falls in love with ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, helping people, it, it can have a to- an intoxicating effect to it. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty exciting to help people. <laughs> and it, yeah. it can be a little buzz sometimes. And uh, so, yeah, learning those rhythms is really important. Right. And so so we're, we're implying uh, one of the answers to a question I kind of wanted to kick off with, which is what, what makes rhythms special and important? Mm. Um, you, you did speak to this in your sermon, but the the... A little bit of what we're implying here is because we are prone to when we live out of rhythm to crash and to burn. Yeah. Uh, can you? But but can you speak more to that? You know why? Why is that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think we. I would start with creation and 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 ask the question: mm-hmm. Why did God create rhythms in creation? Yeah. Why is there a day and a night? You know, why is there six days of work and then a Sabbath? Um. You know, why is you know, there's these other rhythms that he's created? You know, even when he created a woman's Bible, uh, body, you know, there's, there's rhythms in a woman's body that are so, uh, uh, so critical to understanding the way God's wired women. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a God-ordained thing. That's a creation thing. Yeah. A reproduction is based upon a rhythms that God has built into all of creation. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just everywhere you look, once you begin to see this, everywhere you look, you see that God is a God who creates, who loves rhythm. And, and so, you know, I think when it comes to humanity, to human lives, um, you know, we're not machines. We're, we're people. Mm-hmm. And there's a massive difference between a machine and a... And when we say it like that, it's like, duh. Well, then, if, since we, we're not machines, why do we sometimes act as if we are? You know, appreciating that we've been made in the image of God is appreciating that I have rhythms. I yeah. can't be on all the time. Mm-hmm. And... There's there's things that God teaches me. There's things that God does in me when I live in these rhythms. Mm-hmm. And I think also it helps us realize our dependence upon God. You know, I need to shut down. I cannot go, well, I can go 100 miles an hour for a while, mm-hmm. but I will eventually burn out. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, practicing Sabbath, practicing uh, a good night's sleep, uh, practicing those healthy rhythms, I think is a way of saying you are God and I am not. Absolutely. And I think ignoring those rhythms is a little bit of idolatry. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a little bit of, uh, I, can, I don't need you, God. Yeah. So, 
it's, you know, it's when you start kind of playing that out, it suddenly it becomes a highly theological mm-hmm. issue. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I love Eugene Peterson. He writes a book called Working the Angles. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and in that book, he talks about how in the Jewish mind, the day began uh, like at sunset. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm so glad you're reading Working the Angles. I didn't know you read that. I read it actually as probably, your intern. Probably because I told you, you to. I'm <laughs> yeah. so glad you did. It's a great book. It, it's extremely helpful. It's it's for uh, just background. It's Working the Angles of Pastoral Ministry. Mm-hmm. So it's if, if for anybody who's in ministry, it's it's talking about helpful yeah. rhythms. Yes. Actually, it's it's a lot of it's a good summary. But in the Jewish thought, it, you know, the day begins at evening, which means that God is doing a new thing mm. before you are awake. Yeah. And we, you know, it just breeds into us this humility and this receptiveness and this almost worshipfulness to respond to and to partner with God in what he's already doing. I think that that is, when you start to live like life that way, those are some of my best moments. And I think that the, the, the age that we live in, Clay, it needs this more than ever before, because with the, with our, with the technological revolution, uh, man, there are so many amazing mm-hmm. things we can do with technology, yeah. and it can become a little bit heady, and you can be kind of begin to think, you know, with a kind of a pure secular humanistic kind of a viewpoint. You know, I can tackle anything. We can conquer anything. We can solve anything. Mm-hmm. The humans are so amazing. Well, yes, we are because we were created that way. Right. And when we begin to think that we can conquer anything, we can solve anything, we just need new technology, you know, it, it becomes kind of a, a way of us wandering away from God. Yeah. Now, I, we should embrace technology, but we shouldn't worship it. And we should recognize its limits. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we need to do is turn off our phones, right. you know, unplug this or that. And, uh, you know, even, even something as simple as the fact that we, when we created light, you know, there was the rhythm you know, centuries and centuries ago that, you know, the torch, you kept a torch uh, at night uh, that would give you some light. But most people, when sundown happened, okay, that's time to turn off. It's time to wind down. It's Mm -hmm. time to go to bed. There's a rhythm there. And with the onset of creating electricity, which is wonderful, and, and, you know, light bulbs, which is wonderful, we began to drink the, the, the toxin and the, the, what's the word of the, the, the elixir. We began to drink uh, the elixir of, of we can burn the midnight oil. You know, we can right. have lights on all night. We can work all night. And I've done that. I bet you you've done that. It's yeah. a little. It's 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 actually a little arrogant, isn't it? Oh it, well, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm going to ignore God's rhythms and create my own. It's the same impulse, I believe, that's <laughs> present in the story of the Tower of Babel. Oh yes, let's ascend. Yeah. Let's do it. You yeah. know, we we can. Let's yeah. come together. And sometimes, me and my friends who are fantasy nerds. We've I've we've enjoyed thinking about a world in which you could bottle and reproduce sleep. <laughs> so where you know not like caffeine that has side effects, but just you know you take a little pill that is equal to an eight hour with no side effects. <laughs> and right. what would that do? And it's this arrogance of you know we we idolize productivity, and so even our psalm reading today in Psalm fourteen, mm-hmm. the fool says in his heart there is no God. Yeah. There's this this yeah. denial of god's good design Mm -hmm. um which is it's tragic and it's destructive and then but then conversely as you've said there's a beauty to the rhythm there's a beauty to the way that god designed but it just our our rhythms are close to our limitedness and so we we rail against them 
speaking of today's reading, uh, uh, there's a rhythm in the life of Elijah. You know, mm-hmm. he all the adrenaline that, that happens from him. I mean, come on, beating the prophets of Baal. Yeah, that that's a very adrenalized moment in scripture. Yes, you know, and he goes running down the hill. You know, and the rain's coming, and you know, and then the adrenaline kind of wears out, wears off, and now he's left with this kind of a chemically produced depression. And you read Elijah in First Corinthians, First Kings eighteen and nineteen. That's depression, and it's very yeah. chemically based, based upon this huge victory he had. But you know, now he's got to pay attention to this rhythm, and he gets depressed. And God says to him, you know. Where are you? What are you doing here? Not where are you? What are you doing here, Elijah? Right. And uh, I, I, lo- I love today's reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much content in today's eight, First Kings 18 and 19. Yeah. And it's being, since we're talking about rhythms, I can see those rhythms happen in the life of Elijah. Since and, I, and Elisha. You know, yeah, in the end of chapter sure. 19, he's passing the baton onto Elisha. Um, because you've been to Israel, I know you'll appreciate this, but I visited the place where... Uh, that story with Elijah happened mm-hmm. where he called down the fire mm-hmm. and it was, you could not see 10 feet in front of you because of the fog. Oh, really? Yeah. It was so disappointing. We climbed up to the mountain and looked out where you're supposed to see this beautiful view of it. I think it's the Jezreel Valley. Yeah, I've from- been on the mountain when it was clear. You can see, yeah. did you did you see that, um, that kind of a dial at the top? Yep. Where it says, okay, Jerusalem's this way, mm-hmm. it's this many mile or kilometers, and, and the, Dead sea, the, the Sea of Galilee is this way. Yep. It's called Mukraka, is, mm-hmm. is the name of the, the place. And it's, a, it's an incredible vista. I so know. you were there when it was cloudy? Literally, oh, you could bummer. not see the per, you know, from one, one side of our group to the other side. That's you couldn't too see. too bad. You missed a I lot. I know. I, we, the, our tour guide was trying to impress upon yeah. us how, how bad we, yeah. our luck was. <laughs> But um, you can look over that same valley from um, Mount Tabor, mm-hmm. from the precipice at Nazareth, yep. from um, Megiddo. Yep. Um, I've got some great pictures from Nazareth and Megiddo. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, but the, yeah. yeah, that, that, that hill, not, not so. But um, so when it comes to these rhythms, one of the things I also wanted to do is kind of look at some of them and, and draw okay. more okay. deeply sure. into some of these points. So yeah. the, the first rhythm you shared with us that you saw in the text was that Jesus lived in the rhythm of connecting with God and serving people. Mm-hmm. And then w- within that, you unpacked the idea that Jesus's connection with God gave him clarity of purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, purpose is something that I, clarity of purpose, I believe is something that everyone is looking for and very few, few mm. people have found. Mm. Um, can you talk a little bit more about how our love of God and mm-hmm. love of people, how this rhythm of connecting with God and serving people can provide a sense of purpose? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, before I talk about that, one of the things I love about that mm-hmm. is that this is such a great example of when you do ministry and you help people, it's really easy for the people that you're helping to then begin to set the agenda mm. and and they begin to decide what you're going to do with your time. And and it can be difficult for people who love to serve and who love to help. You know, we, we have all this teaching about Jesus followers are servants. And so doesn't that mean that I should let everybody in my life uh, set my agenda? Actually, it doesn't. <laughs> It means that you should let God set the agenda, and the agenda will be serving. But you know, we can get into all kinds of difficulties. I think I mentioned the word enmeshment and mm-hmm. codependency. Yep. You know, things that we didn't have names for. You know, two hundred years ago, or especially two thousand years ago. But 
it still can happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, that's, that's the, the first thing is that being with God, and when, when we talk about the rhythm of being with God, we're not talking about just ripping through your devotions. You know, the, the, the scripture doesn't say, and Jesus had his devotions. <laughs> it, it says he went to a solitary place, and then, and then Mark says, where he prayed. Mm. And for, for, for Jesus, prayer was communion, was connecting. It was being, you know, poured into. And so, you know, that kind of, of being connected to God and being rooted in God that's the way Jesus lived his life. So life came out of that uh, versus Jesus using devotions to get his spiritual nugget for the day or worse than that, checking the box of I had my devotions. Can you imagine Jesus doing devotions the way some of us do sometimes? You know, checking the box. Did you have devotions? Yes, I did my devotions today. Yeah. I mean, no, Jesus, it was life right. to him. Yeah. You know, it was like, you know, he fed on the the, the life of the father. He it was nourishment to him. And so, you know, listening to God, getting into the rhythm of, you know, of God's movement. He says in John five nineteen, I only do what the thought, what the father says. I only say what the father says. And another place, I think like John eight twenty nine, he says, you know, I always do what the father says. And so, well, how does he know? Because he's been listening to the father. Right. And so, all of that life, all that ministry, all of those rhythms, all the things that that he's going to do come out of that source. And of course, actually, that that's an interesting play on words. the The word "father" has kind of a double meaning. It, it can mean uh, one who's the head over. Mm. It can also mean source. Yeah. And so, you know, the the father is yes, he's the authority, but he's also the source. And so. When Jesus talks about life with the Father, he's talking about that's where I find you know the kind of the source of who I am. Yeah, which is, that's a thought I hadn't had for a while. I just that's just beautiful. In my brain. That'll even we'll we'll touch on that a little bit more when we talk about Trinitarian theology. And mm-hmm. okay, bit, sure. Yeah. yeah. So so out of that you know rhythm of connecting with God and getting you know finding the will of God, uh, finding the heartbeat of God. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. Then Jesus can can be launch into his day, you know, mm-hmm. fed by God, led by God. Right. And this can this leads us to the rhythm of being sent versus being led. You know, not that that Jesus has his time with God. Again, things things we do sometimes <laughs> have our time with God and then ignore him. You know, I've been sent into the day. Now I'm going to just do my own thing. No, right. you know, he lived out of that 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 connectedness, mm-hmm. and that's that's why that's such a good word because. We understand as people who ha- live in a world of electricity and live in a world of phones, mm-hmm. we instantly realize when disconnection happens. The lights just went off, okay? <laughs> or my I can't, you know, my phone's not. Yeah, getting, the internet you know, cut out or whatever. Cut out, or I, yeah. I, I can't no longer. Get, you know, the antenna's not working. You know, so mm-hmm. we understand connection instantly, and that's good because that's a good word for us to be thinking about. You know, it's the first word of our Christ, like our Christ acronym, connected to God through the Word and prayer. Jesus, we see Jesus living connected, mm-hmm. not just getting connected and then kind of doing his own thing, but he lived connected. Right. And so that shaped his day. It shaped his interactions and it built in this rhythm. And um, that's the way we want to live our lives. Mm. Yeah. I feel like I spend so much time 
Well, I I don't want to put it quite that way, but I but I do feel like a lot of my time with the Lord is time of discernment, where I'm I'm reading the scriptures, saying, "All right, Lord, what what would mm-hmm. you have for me today, mm-hmm. or what are you saying to me?" And I I feel like I spend a, most of my time in the Word, just trying to listen and discern. Good. Or good. when I'm, you know, things are happening in life, and I'm like, "All right, Lord, where are you in this?" You're, and, you're looking at life through the filter of scripture, aren't you? I I try to. I mean, yeah. in my best moments. Yeah. I, I but I and I, and I think Jesus did that as well. Oh, yeah. But I envy the. I think Jesus' authority in his ministry and his confidence in his ministry. You know, he. I don't think that he was left wondering um, when he was communing with the Father. I think he had a this intimacy that i envy right yeah. of course of course we do Absolutely. an intimacy that i strive for mm-hmm. where i don't know that jesus needed hours and hours to discern the will of god i think he he was walking hand in hand with god yeah. uh, you know soul in soul with god and so he had this clarity and the, and then again this this uh, purpose mm-hmm. and then that breeds a sense of authority a sense mm-hmm. of um, just this disposition of, I must do this. Yeah. And I, I mean, it took me 18 years or 22 years to feel that way about my call to ministry. Mm-hmm. And, and now I have a confidence in my call, mm-hmm. but even as that takes shape, you know, it's, it's this constant, all right, Lord, would you show me? Uh, and I envy the authority and the, and the well, some of those aspects. It's just like, you know, you've, you've gotten to know this woman named Joy pretty well mm-hmm. you 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 live with her you you've married her you you know her so well and you will get to know her better but you know her so well you can represent you know what she wants you you, you could speak authoritatively to many things not everything because mm-hmm. you don't know everything there is to know about joy right but you know a lot and so you don't have to call joy and ask her you know what's your favorite this or what's your favorite that or would you want to do this you know you mm-hmm. can speak because of the depth of your relationship. Yeah. And the same thing with Jesus. He, he speaks out of that depth of knowing the Father. So he doesn't have to check in with the Father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's not what the morning is, is checking in. It's, again, it was, we talked about being fed, about being nourished, about that relationship. This, right. See, everything for Jesus is relationship. It's, he doesn't use the Father. He doesn't, you know, plug into the Father like he's some kind of electrical port. No, he, he's living out of the the intimacy and the beauty of that relationship, and that relationship feeds him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use God the Father. We use Jesus the Son. We use the Holy Spirit. Uh, and what we want to do is is to learn to to live so deeply in the relationship of the Trinity, to to live so deeply in those rhythms that it just it's a natural flow that these rhythms come out mm-hmm. and these priorities come out. Yeah. And so when somebody asks us, hey, what's the most important thing? We can say, love God and love people. You know? Right. And in Jesus' day, what's the greatest commandment? No, I, and I know the answer to that. It's not, it wasn't something on a quiz. You know, I live out of that knowledge of, of God. And yeah. And so that, that, that becomes an, an answer that comes right out of that intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. And and also, like you mentioned earlier, it leads us into that second rhythm, which mm-hmm. is serving mm-hmm. uh, and and being sent into context where you can serve and love people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned in passing that Trinitarian theology, 
somebody who's a good student of theology might have uh, gotten really interested in the language that you used about um, Jesus being sent by the Spirit mm-hmm. out of the book of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Um, can you bring us into why Why is that sort of an eyebrow raise? Oh, that's an, that's an I don't know if I've thought of it that way. You know, why might somebody have that reaction thinking about the relationship with yeah. the Trinity? I, I think because we sometimes um, over-define the the roles of the Trinity, mm-hmm. and we peg the the Father just does this, and the Son just does that, and the Spirit just does that, mm-hmm. and it comes from a good place. We do see unique roles that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have, but there's more overlap than I think sometimes we admit or recognize. And yeah. again, this is what systematic theology does. It it tries to look for patterns. It tries to systematize. This is good. But sometimes we can get dogmatic in our systemization, and we can get rigid, and we we overdefine and mm-hmm. um, and you know build fences around the roles of the father. Like he can't get out of you know, use the illustration what three weeks ago about the box. The bo- you know? Yeah, yeah. So if we were thinking about the box of the father, the box of the son, the box of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Stay in your box, you know. No, again, the, the Trinity is first and foremost a relationship. And so, you know, yeah. there's not hard lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we're not used to talking about the Spirit sending. We're used to talking, you know, and it's even even from the earliest days of Trinitarian language, you know, we talk about the, the Father is the begetter, begetter, and mm-hmm. Jesus is the begotten, and uh, the, the, the Spirit is the, the one who is, 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 is sent. And so the Father... You know, begets the son, and the son sends the spirit. You know mm-hmm. that, and you know that's some of the earliest language when you, when you're reading some of the earliest Trinitarian theologians, mm-hmm. um, and you know they were still trying to figure out the roles. But sometimes those that language got so rigid that you know we we began to think that the spirit is only the one who is being sent, and so it's good for us to let the scriptures. Mm-hmm you know, shape our theology. And yeah. if we let Isaiah 61 shape our theology, then we begin to go, oh, you know, the spirit of the Lord sent me. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the, grammatically, that's know. the, that, you know, that's the, pre, the, um, the antecedent mm-hmm. of it's, it's the spirit. And when, when, when you said that I broke, I, I, I broke out my uh, Greek text and I was like, I want to, I, I want to check on that. It just, just because it's, it is so interesting mm-hmm. and it is, it doesn't, break the mold a bit. And yeah. so I was looking at it, I was like, well, sure enough, you know, it's not, you know, because <laughs> sometimes in the Greek, those possessives and the genitives, it can confuse what the subject is, but it, you know, but even you're, so you're absolutely right. Even so when we talk about the spirit of the Lord, mm-hmm. you know, let's not forget, there's also the phrase, the spirit of, the, of Jesus. So yep. the spirit of Jesus is the Holy spirit. Yep. You know, the spirit of God is the Holy spirit. Absolutely. The spirit of the father is the Holy spirit. There's not, you know, the father and his spirit. And then there's the son and his spirit. And then there's mm-hmm. the spirit, you know, it's not like five, you yeah. know, no, yeah. the Holy spirit is the spirit of the father, spirit of the son. Right. And so the, the, it's again, we want, we want language to serve, um, uh, the truth that we see in scripture, mm-hmm. not limited. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, there are some, I, I remember when I was uh, late in college, there was, there were some big controversies uh, having to do with 
the interplay between atonement theory and Trinitarian theology, where people would say, Mm -hmm. if God the Father sent the Son to be punished by him, that's, you know, they took issue with that, mm-hmm. that, you know, oh God, God's setting up Jesus, it, you know, that the, they would use the phrase, there's, there's divine child abuse happening, right. and I can't right. abide by that. Right. When, uh, to take a, a note from what you said on Sunday, God does not do anything separately. You know, you, you don't want to confuse the persons, but you cannot separate right. God right. out into these needs. You know, this is not, you know, there's all these heresies that we deny that God is, you know, appearing in three different ways, right? Yeah. He's three different beings that, you know, are, are share a, a common substance, you know, it's that, no, 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 they're three persons, one nature, mm-hmm. um, one being. Uh, and so God, uh, you know, he not, he not only does he pour out his wrath on Jesus on the cross, but he also takes the wrath upon himself, Amen. right? He, he takes the curse upon himself, mm-hmm. not just in this, you know, uh, you know, unpersonal at arm's length sort of thing. There's the famous line in the song, uh, the father turns his face away in the song, how, how deep the father's love for us, Mm -hmm. which has become a little bit controversial Mm -hmm. for this reason. You know, did the father turn his face away? Was there this separation? Was Jesus forsaken? Which is, uh, it comes from a misreading of Psalm 22. Right. Uh, that, which is a very, very common misreading Mm -hmm. that, uh, when Jesus was quoting, uh, well, first of all, a lot of people forget that he was quoting Psalm 22. Right. Um, they just think that Jesus is ex- expressing his feelings on the cross. I feel separated, but I, I'm I'm convinced. I used to be just intrigued, but now I'm convinced that what what's happening uh, on the cross is because Jesus can hardly breathe and can hardly speak because of the the brutal nature of crucifixion, mm-hmm. he is engaging in a teaching moment with all of the spiritual leaders of Israel at his feet, all these rabbis, all these priests, all these scribes and Pharisees who all know the scriptures. And when they hear Jesus quote Psalm 22, <laughs> their mind instantly, because of all their training, goes to Psalm 22. And in their mind, they're finishing the psalm. Mm-hmm. And in that psalm, it describes a person being crucified. And again, I think we've talked about this before. You know, the, the Persians are the ones that created and invented uh, crucifixion. Mm-hmm. At the time of David's Psalms, there was no such thing as crucifixion. Right. So, so the psalmist is, is, is prophetically describing something that was a thousand years from happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesus wants those religious leaders to realize that what's happening on the cross is ordained by God that I am the character of Psalm 22. You're watching it happen right before your eyes, which had to be stunning. Oh man, uh, it's. I mean, it's. So, and he said that all with by all by just quoting the yeah, first verse. It's. I mean, it, yeah. It would be amazing. I mean, it's hard to imagine the gravity of being mm-hmm. there in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's, it feels heightened, you know, it feels cinematic. And in some ways, I think because it was, I mean, this is the centerpiece of the story of history. Talk about drama. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Um, But before we move on from these first two rhythms, there's one other thing I wanted to ask, which is you uh, talked about in 1C that Jesus' purpose was to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Um, and of course that word proclaim, and then we get into the concept of evangelism, uh, and and you talked about the Greek terms that are used Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. for those two words. Um, 
and one of them being Caruso, mm -hmm. the other being Yuan Galizzo. Mm -hmm. And you, you sort of brought out some of the nuance and some of the um, interesting notes of those two different phrases. Um, can you bring us more into, should we be cutting a difference between proclaiming proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and evangelizing? Mm -hmm. And what, what, what does the difference mm -hmm. look like? Or are yeah. they really similar? Or why is Luke using these different words? Yeah, they're, they're similar, but they're not synonyms. Yeah. Um, so the, um, with the, the beauty of the Greek language, there's uh, at least four words that are used to describe you know, preaching in the New Testament. And, you know, here's two of them in the same text. So in, is it verse 43? I, I'm not 100% sure. I think it's verse 43 where he says, I must proclaim, I must proclaim the good news. Um, that is a word that dis distinctly uh, uh, describes not just proclaiming truth, mm -hmm. not just proclaiming God's will, not just proclaiming God's word, but specifically uh, announcing and declaring, proclaiming the specific good news that Jesus came to bring. Right. And of course, that's you know the hallmark of his, especially his early ministry. I think Mark, when he talks about it, Mark one fourteen and fifteen, he, Jesus came proclaiming the good news. Mm -hmm. You know, so so one of the colorful things about this that I didn't get time to talk about is. Uh, this language uh, actually shows up in the Old Testament as well, in the Hebrew language, and uh, and it's the idea that the the heart and soul of Galizo is I am announcing, bringing good tidings. Yeah. And originally, it was used to describe a herald who would uh, announce the good news that the king or the emperor, or some big dignitary, is, is coming. And so he's heralding, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's like a, uh, 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 a person who would be throwing out newspapers in the 20s and 30s and saying, you know, the news is here, news is here, good news, good mm -hmm. news, you know. Um, and, but these guys are announcing the king is coming, or the right. king is, uh, owns this property, and so you know, his authority is now going to rule here. And you know we're safe now because the king is here. Our the enemies are can't can't get us. And it's, it was a very very practical word. And people got excited about the good news, the announcement of the good news, the good tidings. And so um, you can see this in like Isaiah fifty two seven. You know how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Right. Um, that's the the language of this announcement. Well. You, you morph that into the first century and uh, even before the first century. And um, they had heralds in the Roman Empire who would announce the coming of a Caesar. Uh, and, and so the, the Caesar would bring good news. It's called the Pax Romana. You are safe now. The, the, the peace of Rome includes that there's, there's, there's armies, there's roads, there's safety, there's security. And I'm mm. the, the, the Caesar. I'm the one who's bringing this peace. I'm the one that's bringing this good news. I'm sending the heralds ahead of me. Or sometimes, this is crazy, they would send a herald out to announce the birthday of a king. <laughs> and so the good news is the announcement that, you know, uh, the, uh, the emperor has had a child or that the king is coming. Th this is all very relevant to 
when the angels come announcing good news in Luke chapter 2, that's not Bible language only. That's also Roman Empire language. Yeah. And and since there already is a king in the Roman Empire, the announcement of a new king is suddenly threatening. Mm-hmm. And this explains why King Herod wanted to kill all the children who are Jesus' age in around Bethlehem, because this king, quote-unquote king of the Jews, was a threat to King Herod's rule. Mm-hmm. And so... For the angels to announce the good news is actually a very political statement. Mm-hmm. It's a very treasonous statement. Yeah. It's a very threatening statement. And this is a, this is a Christian mes- the Christmas message we don't preach. Right, right. It's, <laughs> but it's it's it's, yeah. it's a revolutionary message. Absolutely. But it also explains why the Roman Empire was trying to kill Christians, mm-hmm. starting with Jesus, then his disciples, and including Paul, mm-hmm. and into the first couple centuries, because. The language of Messiah, language of King, language of good news, you're stealing our language. Mm -hmm. And of course, we would say, no, you've co-opted our language. Before there was a Roman Empire, Isaiah was proclaiming in Isaiah 52, the good news is coming. Yeah. And that good news is is Jesus is the King. Mm -hmm. And um, so this whole idea of the... Uh, the announcement of good news is all sitting in this word, Uangalizo. It, it is the background <laughs> of this word. Yeah. And so it would have been heard differently mm-hmm. by, you know, like Roman citizens, right. you know, who are, who know what this word means. It's not a, it's not a person who's handing out Bible tracts. It's not right. a person who's standing on the corner with a bullhorn saying, you're going to hell. You know, this is not somebody who's at a Billy Graham crusade. And that's how we think about evangelism. You're handing out tracts, you're, sharing the, the 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 good news of the gospel you're announcing you know no 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 this in the first century this would have been heard as a political word it would have been heard as a as a as a king word mm-hmm. uh it would have been heard as a, a word of security and safety and right. and intrigue and they, everybody was ears are perking up yeah what there's a there's, there's good news that's, that is good yeah. news i yeah. want to hear it you know right so 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 that, that's all tied up in this word uangelizo but whereas Caruso is could be anybody speaking forcefully, uh, mm-hmm. proclaiming something. So it could be all kinds of messages. It doesn't have the good news tied up in it. Right. It's more of a forcefully proclaiming. So it's a good um, classical Greek word. So or the, the orators and the philosophers of uh, classical Greek. Um, this, this word Caruso would be used to describe their forceful orating. Yeah. Is that a word? Orating? Orating. Um, oration. Oration. Yeah. yeah something like that. Yeah, one <laughs> of know, those. Yeah. So, so, you know, the, the New Testament actually borrows a lot of words and, and images from the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. from the Greek world. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Paul is genius at this. You know? right. he, like the word episkopos that mm-hmm. he stole from... Epi means over, scopos means to see. So it's an overseer. It's a, it's like a person at a at a at a job site, like a construction site, who's overseeing, like a general contractor. He's overseeing what's happening. Paul stole that world, the word from mm-hmm. first century Greek construction and and um, businesses. Yeah. And now it's we 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 think of the word episcopal as a purely religious word. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's hundreds of words that out of Hebrew and Greek that were quote-unquote taken out of those worlds and given new meaning and filled with the, the biblical language and the biblical truths. 
Yeah. And, and many people, um, we, we get into this a little bit in some of our classes on studying the Old or New Testament. Mm-hmm. Many people be- see God's providential hand in, um, you know, when, when it talks about Jesus coming at the fullness of time. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the, the Hebrew language. language and the Greek languages mm-hmm. are uniquely situated. Well, especially the Greek language. To, to, to provide... The, you know, doctrinal clarity mm-hmm. and also, mm-hmm. um, you know, precision. Yeah, exactly. As God is trying to reveal himself yes. through Jesus. So yes. There, you know, because I think sometimes people can hear that and be like, oh, well, does that mean it's not special because they stole it? No, <laughs> no, it is. Let's use the word co opt instead of stole. Right. I, I don't right. use the word stole, but. But, but you know, because they're, you know, they're taking um, treasures for out of their culture and they're saying, hey, this is, this can be really helpful to mm-hmm. us. Does that make it. You know, oh, well, I guess we don't need to, because sometimes when you explain how all that worked, it can, it can take some of, you know, some of the magic out of mm-hmm. those ideas or those concepts. And it's like, no, no, this is, yeah. they're, they're maybe using it in a, in a more true sense, um, because God is at work trying to reveal himself. Well, and I think, you know, that's one, that's why there's the good argument for Christians using the internet. Some, mm-hmm. sometimes there are some Christians that say, you know, you shouldn't use you know some technology that the you know that that you know sinful man created. Mm-hmm. Really, are we Amish? You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, no, you, you can't find any place in the Bible where they won't use things that have been created by secular people. Right. The the you classic know? illustration that I've heard is they you know Paul walked the Roman road, which was used mm-hmm. for all these atrocities, mm-hmm. but he used it for the the sake of the gospel. Exactly. Which is actually why uh, you know you've been writing your sermons using AI, which has been really great. <laughs> I have? No. No, no, no. That was a joke. That was a joke. That's, that's like for people who know you, that it would be like the worst thing that someone could possibly do. Yeah, that's true. But uh cuz you yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but some people probably are, you know, and AI. Well, I know maybe, some people are, yeah. And they, maybe, you know, maybe there are helpful applications of AI. That's going to be up to some theologians and some people who are smarter than us to, to help us walk through, probably. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's such a sensitive thing. It is. But the, sure, surely there will, there will be helpful applications. Oh, absolutely. So. There is. We, we, know, we know automatically there's, I mean, mm-hmm. especially like, like in the medical world. Um, you know, there's so many things that, that uh, AI is helping mm-hmm. you know, uh, doctors figure For diagnosing out. Oh, my and, goodness. And, yeah. and yet it cannot replace the rhythm of being sent and led by the Spirit. <laughs> you, you know, the, nice segue. Yeah, so that's <laughs> back, back into the rhythm language. And the, the other thing, um, yeah, I mean, there's so much with evangelism because the way that you're describing it and the way that Luke pairs it with K. Russo it all it gives the impression that to to Euangelizo is is to um monologue about or to proclaim and to you know have this script where you're saying hey there's some good news here let me tell you about what it is whereas when we think about or at least when we talk about evangelism some of the healthier ways don't involve us standing up on a stage and and shouting about the the good news mm-hmm. and the entrance of Jesus. You know, even mm-hmm. even you yourself, you know, you're talking about people who would go on a street corner and maybe just sort of repeat a script about Jesus or the gospel. Or God or Which, you yeah. know, hey, you know, God may you know, God can use all kinds of foolish methods. He uses the foolishness of preaching mm-hmm. every week to to form Christ likeness. So mm-hmm. it, it's not a matter of is God working in that or not. 
but how can you know, so do, is evangelism always the proclamation and does that mean it's you know, we all need to memorize a script you know how does how does evangelism how can it look for us in the 21st century yeah yeah i i, I love that that setup because um, another thing that that is, happens in the word in the Hebrew word and and the Greek word uh, is not just to announce good news, but to bring good news. Mm. And when you see that the the centrality of that word to bring, then it begins to expand the 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 way that we think about evangelism. So evangelism is not just proclaiming; it's also bringing good news. And so that means I'm, I serve people, I love people, I am incarnating the good news as mm. I build relationships with people. Yeah, that's good. So, you know, we talk about the five B's here. Do you build relationships? When, you, when, when a Christian builds relationships with a lost person, they are bringing the good news via relationship. And... Um, they're good newsing that person. And when we only have n- narrow definitions of evangelism, is it, ha- it has to be something that I say, we're actually not representing the, the definition of that word very well. What we're doing is we're, we're reading our own cultures and our own definitions and our own preferences into a word. But to go back into the word and to let the color of that word shape us Yes, proclaim is very important, but bring. So how can I bring the good news? Oh, I build relationships. I get bring food to people. I, I bring the, mm-hmm. the, the love of God. I bring them into, you know, friendships with other Christians. You know, bringing expands the, the evangelistic methods. Right. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you know, we understand that bringing the good news eventuates uh, uh, that sooner or later you have to say something mm-hmm. uh, because otherwise you know, how did that good how did the good news get communicated right how can they know if they have not heard exactly so there has to be something said eventually but I think it's beautiful that that word actually includes the idea of bringing absolutely and I think it fits our context because um, there are so many people suspicious of Christianity mm-hmm and Christianity has gotten such a bad rap, largely because of Christians, <laughs> um, not only because of Christians, but largely. And so when a person who doesn't know Christ, doesn't know the church, doesn't know God, is loved on by a Christian, when the good news is brought, they begin to the barriers begin to get broken down, and now we're earning the right to actually speak the name and the truth of Jesus. And eventually hopefully begin to uh, build to the place where we can share the gospel with them. And mm-hmm. they're, and it's a receptive thing. Because again, we must never, never forget that, you know, sharing the gospel is not a, something that is like a, um, a notch on our belt. Well, I shared the gospel with somebody today. Mm-hmm. No, we want to share the, the good news of the gospel. So that's received. And so, yeah. you know, I think, you know the value of building relationships and earning the right to share something uh, like the gospel is worth considering yeah. in, in our today's culture, and which oddly enough, I see Jesus doing the same thing. Right, and I think um, it's it's I think it should at least for me it produces a tension because I am hungry for people to know Jesus, mm-hmm. but I. I also recognize that 
if I haven't built, this is going to be such like a Gen Z term, but if I haven't built, if I have not built emotional equity with that person, they're not going to receive no. my advice. They're not going to re receive my uh, genuine Your warning. Good yeah, my good tidings. <laughs> because they're, yeah. they, um, they're like, whatever, dude, you know, you don't, you don't know me. You don't know where I'm from. Mm -hmm. I, I've been, um, interested. I've been, I've been learning a little bit about, uh, it's the psychology of how people change their minds mm -hmm. and so much of it. And we're just learning so much about brain science and how unhelpful it is mm -hmm. to just tell people, Oh no, you're wrong. You're, you need to, you need to learn from me and why don't you just sit down and I'll, I'll set you straight. It's like, there's no worse way to try to show people the, the goodness of Jesus and, yeah. and the, uh, you know, of course, it, only the Holy spirit can open a person's heart to receive the gospel. But, um, I think sometimes we, we, uh, get in our own way. I love that verse from first Thessalonians two, eight, where Paul says, we were pleased to to share our lives with you, yes, as well as the gospel. Mm -hmm. I love that verse. There's there's that rhythm mm -hmm. right there of I'm sharing the gospel and I'm sharing my life, yes, and, and that's the incarnation that that comes together. Right. And, and so that means, so in my opinion, so in, in my own life, the way that I deal with, because for, for a long time, I did not have friends that were not believers. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I went to a Christian high school. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, there were people who maybe weren't believers at my, the, in the Christian circles I was running in, but many people at least were pretending to be Christians. Well, I mean, Carter and Jordan, they weren't Christians. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, they are. They are. I hope they're listening to this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Oh, that'll be good. These are Clay's brothers, by the way. Yeah. But you know, they people who had heard it all, who, you know, who maybe were trying to follow Christ, and then I went to a Christian Christian uh, college mm -hmm. where I was around a bunch of believers. Right. I was taking ministry classes, so I was around a bunch of people who were not only believers, but who were like, you know, studying the Bible all the time. <laughs> and then I bought a house in downtown Elyria, and suddenly, and I live around a bunch of people who don't know Jesus, and it's <laughs> it's awesome. And so for me, yeah. I if I'm not inviting people who don't know Jesus into my home regularly, if I'm not stepping into their homes regularly when invited, of course, or if I'm not, if I'm not frequenting places in the community that people who don't know Jesus frequent, mm -hmm. then I think I'm, I think I'm Missing not something. faithfully yeah. proclaiming the good news. Yeah. You know, I, I need to be around people so that I can interact with them so I can build relationships. And let's, what's, what's the incarnation teach us? Mm -hmm. God didn't stand up in heaven and shout down to us. He became one of us. Yeah. He moved into the neighborhood. And yes, this is incarnational living. And it's also a, a dignifying of mm -hmm. of people yeah. who don't work around a bunch of Christians. Yeah. It's like you, you're every day. You have that opportunity to embody, to be uh, to be with and to build. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's I hope that's an encouragement to folks who are listening who are around nonbelievers all the time. Yeah. Um, that's that's a blessing. You've been placed there. Um, so uh, last, last question, uh, maybe, or last or second to last, uh, Jesus is proclaiming the good news, but he's specifically proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Mm. And so you did a, an excellent job in a short amount of time, bringing this very complex reality and making it communicable. And you, you gave this quote, who is the, what, remind me what the quote was and who it was from. Uh, I'm not sure what about you're talking the about here. I've got it written down. I quoted Dallas Willard. Is that who you're talking about? It might be. It had okay. the word realm in it. Yeah, that's uh, 
Dallas Willard uh, defines the kingdom as the the realm of God's effective will. Yeah, that's a yeah. little bit that's classic Willard because it's always dense, you know, right. and it's always complex. But, I, um, yeah, but you know, realm is that or area, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kingdom, you know, a kingdom is a realm. Mm-hmm. So, but um, it helps us see that the, the kingdom is is not everywhere. Right. It's it, there's a realm. There's a there's a defined boundaries about where kingdom is okay second part where god's effective will is so that's just recognizing that you know god's will is that no one should perish and yet people perish right so there's there's god's you know uh preferred will there's god's effective will so effective will is where god's will is being done and so i actually think jesus's definition in the lord's prayer is just it communicates all of that exactly you know so I mean, it's like, are you kidding me, Jesus? Mm-hmm. This is so pithy yeah. and so you know, perfect. Now, there's more to be said, but a lot of what can be said can be drawn from the Lord's Prayer as well. As we mm-hmm. un- un- unpack that phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done. But uh, that's who I was quoting was Willard in that, yeah, with that yeah. phrase. And it's this, like, as you said, it's a pithy um, statement that helps us to grasp in a basic sense, what the kingdom is. Yeah. And yet I, the the reason that those pithy statements are needed is because there is a lot of complexity with the kingdom mm-hmm. and there's a lot of discussion yeah, and there sometimes is. disagreement about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny, um, different branches of Christianity interacting with culture respond to culture differently in some ways out of their understanding of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And so it, it has a lot of impact on how we, live out our Christian life. So can you bring us into a little bit of that conversation? (laughs) I know we're, and we're going to have lots of time to talk about it. Yeah, we are. But I mean, honestly, it it comes from um, the the communication style of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, He's describing a reality that um, is much bigger and broader than anybody that we, than we can grasp. And so Mm -hmm. that's why he's constantly telling stories. The kingdom of God is like, um, so, you know, when, when you start putting together all of the things Jesus said about the kingdom and you try to systematize this and go, okay, you know, what is Jesus trying to communicate? Um, this is where people begin to, to have differences. You know, there are some people that say the kingdom of God is synonymous with the church. Right. I, I disagree. Yeah. Uh, there's other people who say that the kingdom of God is synonymous with the kingdom of heaven. I, I respectfully disagree. I know that there's some overlap there. I think there's a, there's a difference between those two phrases. Mm. You know, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about um, it, ha- it, it coming in stages. And so uh, I'm introducing the kingdom. I'm bringing the kingdom be- because I'm here, the king. Now the kingdom of God is among you. It wasn't among you before I was born. Mm. It's among you now because I'm here. Uh, and yet it's not here in all its fullness. And so, you know, even just some of those thumbnail sketches, that causes some people to scratch their head and says, and say, and that's doublespeak, you know, be clearer. Um, and so that's why I really love the phrase that, you know, where God's will is being done, that's where the kingdom is happening, mm-hmm. you know. And of course, you know, the heaven it is where, you know, the kingdom of God will be in its fullness. And so if you finish the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, right, right. so you know, we, we're recognizing that the kingdom of God has be- begun, but it hasn't come in its fullness yet. It, in its fullness will be, is in heaven now. And when 
Jesus comes again and ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, Amen. You know, then we will see the full flowering of this, and yes, and then you know, the, the God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and the kingdom will have come. Mm-hmm. And so, as it says in Revelation, the kingdoms of this world have will have become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ. Amen. You know, everything beca- gets you know culminated in Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. He just brings it all together. Yeah. So, you know, when when we talk about the kingdom of God happening in the ministry and the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, you know, and how does that fit with today? You know, you know Jesus in the, is, is not amongst us in the flesh. He is amongst us by his spirit. And so is the kingdom everywhere? No. This, we still live in the kingdom of darkness. This, we still live in the kingdoms of this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that is growing and expanding within the kingdoms of this world. And eventually we'll take over it. It's, it's like yeast. You know, Jesus had all these ex- illustrations <laughs> and stories. And, yeah. um, because it's not something that's, that's, you know, you can't just grab it, and it's not something physical. Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 Roman Empire had boundaries. This is where Rome's, you know, boundary was, and and in most of history, kingdoms were defined by walls. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and so was the church, right? In the yeah. in the day when they Absolutely. thought that the church and you know it was, it used Christendom language mm-hmm. as you know this is the kingdom of Christ. Mm-hmm. They. I mean, there's still a state in in uh, Vatican, in Italy yeah. in the Vatican yeah. that where they believe you know this is like the capital of Christendom. And for a while, you know, it was the Holy Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. It started off as as Rome, then the Roman Empire, then it became the Holy Roman Empire. And right. so, you know, they, they were absolutely blending the kingdom of God in with the Holy Roman Empire yeah. with the Church, and you know, wherever. You know the the influence of the Catholic Church, you know, was which meant, you know, laws, uh, rulership. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's the, that was the extent of the kingdom of God. And yeah. of course, they were they were making the, the the huge mistake of defining the kingdom of God in a spatial way. It's not a spatial thing yet. It's right. not. It's uh, it will be in heaven, but now it's a relational and it's a spiritual. A thing, not a spatial thing. Yeah, yeah, and that you know, you can already see uh, for the, for those who are students of history how our understanding of the relationship between the kingdom, this world, and the church impacts how we relate to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it can you, know, you can justify a lot of things in the name of well, we need to go retake Jerusalem because X, yeah, Y, the Crusades. You know, th- these some of the yeah. some of the early colonialism that America mm-hmm. was engaged in with. Right. Um, you know, bringing, uh, quote unquote, <laughs> the gospel, or actually, actually they didn't use that, bringing Christianity is the way in, to, you know, the third world, to the Caribbean, to the, the, all the places they were conquering, you know. Yeah. You know, that was, that was not the advance of the kingdom of God. Right. But that's how it was seen. Right. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, I, I'm excited for us to talk more about the kingdom because, there are mo- there are so many modern day analogies. You know, I think there are a lot of Americans who believe things about the way that the kingdom of God is in relationship with the United States of America that <laughs> we wouldn't, you know, we would say, hey, maybe we need to 
do a do a sermon series out of the book of Luke. <laughs> well, you know, even there's a song we sang this past Sunday that I always uh, just get a little bit chafed. Uh, we use the, it's the phrase "one holy nation," mm-hmm. and and I, I, I chafe because. Some people think that's America. Yeah. <laughs> One nation, indivisible. Wait, what is it? Yeah. We, yeah. We, we are not a holy nation. We are not the one holy nation either. We, we you know, that, that, right. it's, it's talking about, you know, the kingdom of God. It's talking right. about the, the, the people of God. The it's nation not, of priests, right? It's, it's yeah, out of First Peter. It's, we're quoting the Bible, America. not the, yeah. And, and that's not to slight America. No. It's just to recognize no, it's, yeah. that in the same way that, the the Yuangalitzo was politically disruptive in mm-hmm. the first century. Mm-hmm. It must, I mean, it should be politically f- offensive and disruptive in our day. Yeah. You know, it doesn't fall neatly into the interests of America. Right. It may fall more neatly into the interests of America than in the interests of, you know, uh, first century Rome or in, in the reign, reign of Nero, right? It mm-hmm. may be a better fit, yeah. but it's not a one-to-one. And so... Um, I'm I'm excited to continue the conversation about the kingdom and to continue learning from Jesus' teaching because I mean I think it will help us to become more faithful ministers, and as we're getting into into the rhythm of proclaiming the kingdom and ultimately doing the kingdom, you know how can we how can we love our neighbors well? Yeah. This will help the church to to grow and also to glorify God. So yeah, th- that's the rhythm that I I want us as a church to really embrace. It's mm-hmm. it's the rhythm the the, the parts of the rhythm of Serving people, of bring of you know bringing the kingdom, doing the kingdom, being led, um, you know the church have for so long has been guilty of just talking, mm-hmm. but not doing. Right, and you know all the way back to the book of James, you know this mm-hmm. was a problem that the that the church has had, uh, and so you know when Jesus talks about it at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, be not hearers of the word only, but doing. You know you, the, the person who is you know, belongs to me as one who does the will of God. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's something we still, all these years later, still struggle with. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got to live in that rhythm of speaking the kingdom, doing the kingdom, proclaiming yeah. the kingdom, living out the kingdom. And, and this is just in closing, another beautiful component to that rhythmic language is it's a cyclical thing. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. And it's also rhythm can be a very natural thing. And I think it's easy for us to chafe against these rhythms. But you, before we started recording, you were sharing me this uh, quotation from the message of yeah. Matthew 11. Yeah. Matthew 11, 28, 29. I love, uh, yeah. Share that with us. Yeah. yeah. Some, it's something like, I don't know if I have it exactly right, but Jesus is uh, saying, you know, come to me and and learn from me, and so and so Peterson translates the, that language as you know, watch me, um, work with me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Yeah, and uh, I just love that phrase. <laughs> learn the unforced rhythms. That's of grace. That's his translation of the phrase. Uh, My yoke is easy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Jesus invites us to learn from him and to get into his yoke. Uh, but, you know, learning the, the rhythms that are unforced, that are, that are just, that flow from him out of relationship with him. There's so much, you know, beauty in that phrase. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, you know, sometimes Eugene Peterson translates something from the Bible uh, and it's, it's, it's much, so much more of a paraphrase and so much more, 
um, almost like a, a street language that that I think he loses some of the meaning. But there's a, lots of other places where I think he really captures in a dynamic way. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, the, 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 the New Testament was written in street language. Koine Greek right. was not the, the classical Greek. Mm-hmm. It was the street language. And so I, that's one of the reasons I love the message, mm-hmm. but I would never only use it as a only, only, only Bible. But in, in this case here, well, I love that phrase. Yeah. Maybe we should just end with that and ask the Lord to teach us to learn to to live in this uh, unforced rhythms of his grace. Amen. Uh, yeah, why don't you? Yeah, I'd love to. Lord, I, I want to start with the word learn. You said, come to me and learn from me. We want to be students, disciples, learners. And we don't want to learn just information and facts. We want to learn you. And specifically in this podcast, in this particular episode, we, we want to learn the rhythms of your grace learn the rhythms of being sent by your spirit and being led by your spirit learn the rhythms of of connecting with you and then serving people learn the rhythms of proclaiming the gospel and living out and doing the the kingdom so god uh, teach us the rhythms that jesus modeled holy spirit breathe into us the the, the spirit of Jesus, the way of Jesus, the character of Jesus. Make us more like Jesus. And again, we real pray that really specifically in this rhythm language. Teach us the rhythms of Jesus. Teach us how to live our days, how to live out the, even the hours of our days, the rhythm between work and, and play, the rhythm between job and family, the rhythm between... Um, church and neighborhood you know just uh, there's so many rhythms that we see you live out Jesus and we want to we want to learn those rhythms so pray for for Clay and for myself and for all those that we love all those that are listening Um, (laughs) in these ways make us more like Jesus we pray in his name amen Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.